This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated, as we say every week. All right. Um, thank you, kids. Go ahead and go back if you want. You can hang out up here. Um, I'm all right with that, honestly. But um, also, I don't know if you all got to see here. Sarah, like, that was incredible. She literally had one kid under her foot and uh, kind of cradled more in her leg, and um, that was great. So, yeah, thank you guys so much for that. We don't always have children in here in the service with us. Um, in fact, one of our friends who are here, the only times they've ever been here are the, like, few times we've had all the kids in the service with us. But I do just want to say again, we love kids. We love families. This goes not only this Sunday, but every Sunday. Um, we leave it up to you. We have um, a children's ministry in the back that's great. But also, we, um, if you want your kids in here to worship and to learn and to hear with you, then we're all for that. Okay, So um, just want to make sure that you know that's always the case. And um, also, we're going to dive into it now. We're going to get into the Bible. So we're going to be looking at Mark chapter, um, chapter 5. So if you don't have a Bible with you, if you can hold your hand up high, somebody will be sure to get you one. Um, we'll get you a Bible if you prefer the Bible in Espanol. Tenemos. So um, you can just say Espanol and we'll get you a Bible in Spanish as well. And if you don't own a Bible, you do now. Okay, keep this. We want, this is our gift to you. So want to make sure everybody has a Bible. And um, while they're handing those out, let me just kind of bring us up to speed where we are right now. Okay, this, um, the gospel according to Mark, the author, likely Mark, um, one of the kind of um, assistants of the apostle Peter, who's one of Jesus' closest followers, um, wrote this account of Jesus' life. And the main point is made abundantly clear at the very beginning. Okay, it says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That word gospel means good news. And it's like a proclamation, a proclamation of, of, of good news that everybody's ears would, would perk up to and would, and would look up and say, tell me more about that. And then Jesus says, um, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. And he says, I have come to, to usher in the kingdom of of God. And so we've talked a lot about Jesus the King and Jesus's kingdom. And so let me just explain as we get into it here why that is, why we talk about that cuz some of us right like this is America. Like we don't do kings, right? We don't talk about kings. Um we we this is a democracy and we don't really get kingdom as much. So let me explain why we talk about that and more importantly why um God talks about that as we get into how these stories how these interactions that Jesus had with people relate to the king and his kingdom. Okay, because essentially the king is God. God the creator, Jesus, God the son, who's come, entered into his created world. The kingdom of God is the context under which the king is ruling. Okay, so, 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 so the king is Jesus. And he says, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. And what he's saying is, is I'm bringing about the way things ought to be. I'm bringing in the kingdom. That in the beginning God created us and that our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, and all of creation was rightly ordered under the authoritative rule of the good king. But because of sin, which means essentially turning our backs on God and saying, we want to be in charge, not you. We want to be king or we want a democracy or whatever it might be. But we want to kind of put you out of the equation. We've kind of turned away from God. 
and, 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 and chaos and disorder broke in and now defines what was created to be good and perfect. And so, Jesus the King came, put on flesh, and entered in to live a perfect life, to lay down His life on the cross, and then to victoriously raise from the dead so that those whom He calls His own, those who would put their faith in Him, would enter into a relationship with the King and have faith in Him. Okay, that's if you've ever heard the term to be saved or, 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 or to be born again or to have a relationship with God. That's what that means. It means you confess your sins with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and He died on the cross for your sins. You enter into a relationship with Him. Okay, so does that make sense? Now, the kingdom, what does that have to do with all that? Because it's not two competing stories. The kingdom is simply the context in which we live life in relationship to the king. Okay? As we just read there in the Jesus Storybook Bible, at the very end of it, it says, Jesus helped and healed many people like this. He made blind people see. He made deaf people hear. He made lame people walk. Jesus was making the sad things come untrue. He was mending God's broken world. Okay? So the kingdom of God is Jesus making right what has been broken. Okay? It's the context, the relationship in which we live in relationship to God, restored through Jesus, and relationship with one another as His people. Okay? So that's where we are. And now, today, as we kind of pick back up, we're looking at Mark chapter 5, and we're entering into another Markin sandwich, right? Do you remember what that is? A Markin sandwich is um, two stories where one is kind of sandwiched between another to prove a main point. The main point of this is really what I've just said. It's essentially... Who is Jesus and what is he doing? And then from there, we're challenged to answer the question, how do you respond to him? What does life look like in relationship to Jesus? Okay, so that's where we're headed today as we look at these two incredible stories. And I'm going to try to do it pretty quickly because, you know, some of our audience here today might not have the uh, longest attention span. So with that, let me, let me pray that God will lead us as we enter into His Word, as we come before Him, as we understand the good news of Jesus as King and what it looks like to live in His kingdom as His people. Okay, so let's, let's um, pray now together. Lord God, we do thank You for this time we have in Your Word. Lord, we, we, we admit that we don't have it all figured out, that some of the themes in Your Word um, maybe are harder for us to understand, like kingdom. Lord, and, 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 and also we're in a context right now with a bunch of kids in here playing and, and it's, it's fun and exciting. And Lord, we do pray that our ears will be open to hear you. And Lord, that you will speak to our hearts what we need to hear to rightly see Jesus and to rightly respond to him and his authority and what life really looks like in relationship to him. And so, Lord, we do um, pray that, that you will continue to lead us as your church, as your people, under your authority, under your rule. So, Lord, we do pray all this in your perfect name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, let's just pick right up, okay? We're going to get into it. Pick up with me in um, Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat... To the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. So just a reminder, if you weren't here last week, Jesus is over here in a predominantly Jewish area, then he 
gets into a boat, goes across the Sea of Galilee, which is actually more like a big lake, but huge storms sometimes would come, and that still happens to this day. A big storm came up, and his disciples said, Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? That's a question that you and I are asking today. That's certainly a question that the original audience under Roman persecution was asking. And Jesus stood up and said, peace be still. And he said, do you not still have faith? Do you not still understand who I am and what I'm doing? And then he goes across to the other side and he entered into a, uh, into a Jewish or I'm sorry, into a Gentile place that was under Roman rule. And, and he came and a man possessed by demons came charging at him, naked, crazy, uttering all kinds of crazy stuff. And he fell at Jesus' feet. Okay, and then, they, and then Jesus does some things there. I'll explain that. And then he comes back. And that's where we just picked up. So Jesus is there and he comes back. He, he heals this man who's possessed by demons. And, um, and, and, and the man laid prostrate at his face. Or on his face before Jesus. And Jesus said, what's your name? And the man possessed by demons said, my name is Legion for we are many. And what that was doing, what the author is doing there is he's saying, um, these demons have a lot of influence in this, the kingdom of this world, if you will, this broken world. And also, Legion was a Roman term for thousands, over 5,000 Roman troops gathered together. So in that interaction, Jesus is showing his authority and his rule over the secular world, the kingdom of this world, that Jesus has power even over the great Roman Empire. And then he comes back across the sea and pick back up with me, says, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly. So again, the same kind of picture. You see the secular world, kind of a picture of the empire, the empire of Rome under demonic influence falling on its face before Jesus. And Jesus casts it out and displays his authority. Now you have the sacred. A man representing religion. A ruler of the Jewish synagogue in the same posture. On his face before Jesus. And he says these things. He says, Jesus, will you come? My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be, she may be made well and live. Verse 24. And he went with him. Okay, so this guy basically says, Jesus, come with me. Again, let me remind you. This is a Jewish ruler, a religious authority. Let me remind you, what happened the last time Jesus was in the synagogue? Yeah, that's right. They, the religious people plotted to kill him, right? So Jesus is around the religious people, the people of the synagogue, and they're like, hey, how, how do we kill Jesus? Because he's not really fitting into our religious understanding of how he's supposed to be. Like, he's not doing what, our, what we think of with our little WWJD bracelets. Like, Jesus fit into our lives the way we want you to, and the religious authorities are mad. And so they're like, how do we kill him? Now you see a man from the synagogue running, falling on his face before Jesus. He would be shunned by his people, but he's at the point of absolute despair. And let, let me ask you, what would it take for you to kind of throw off your inhibitions and actually come before God, laying prostrate on your face before him? recognizing the help that you need. 
Because that's where this guy is. He doesn't care what others think. He's not in like you and me in our kind of Western world, keeping it all together. He's laid bare before Jesus, the king. And he's saying, "What? your authority doesn't seem to be defining my life. I need some help. So Jesus says, okay, let's go. I'll go with you. He answers this guy's plea to go and help him. And then, Ken, in kind of the sandwich, okay, that story is kind of broken. And Jesus goes with the man. And now they're, they're going and this great crowd gathers around, right? Because remember, the crowds have been coming constantly and they're not always a good thing. They're like, Jesus, the one who does tricks and heals people, let's go see how he's going to entertain us, right? They're not humbly submitting to Jesus as king. They're like, let, let Jesus come and do some more tricks. So the crowds are gathering around. They're impeding him as they do time and time again. And Jesus is going. These great crowds are coming. And it says then, a woman, pick up with me in verse 27, or actually, sorry, in verse 25. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered so much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. But she heard about this Jesus. So I'm going to read to you something out of a, a commentary that I've read that I think really well sums up who is this woman? Okay, because we can just kind of read, even in the Jesus storybook that we just read, it said an old, frail lady. We kind of don't know what to make. We could just kind of miss some significant aspects of the plight of this woman and what it meant for her to reach out to Jesus for help. So this is a, um, a, a Catholic commentary that I've read. As I've walked through Mark, this has been actually incredibly insightful about the context and the history and some of the things going on at the time as Jesus is bringing his kingdom. So this woman, Mary Healy, this is what she explains this scene to us. Since blood is the seat of life, this woman has experienced her life draining away with the weakness and fatigue that usually accompany chronic bleeding. Worse, her discharge has left her in a perpetual state of ritual impurity. According to the law of Moses, anything she touches or sits on becomes unclean, and others avoid contact with her since touching her would make them unclean. If she is married, sexual union, sorry, earmuffs, um, such a union is forbidden to her and her husband. Worst of all, she is prohibited from entering the temple to worship with God's people. Mark magnifies her plight by noting that she had spent all her financial resources on doctors whose painful treatments failed to alleviate the condition and only increased her suffering. Can you imagine this woman for 12 years will learn later that the, the girl, Jairus' daughter, is 12 years old. It's a significant parallel. For the entire span of this one girl's life, this woman has known nothing but broken community, broken relationship with God. She can't go to the temple. She's unclean. She can't even touch people. If she's married, we don't know that. Her relationship with her husband is broken. They can't have intimacy. She's at the point of utter despair. And what does she do? She reaches out and touches Jesus. A normal person would be irate, furious. And what happens? I'll just explain it. Jesus says, who touched me? 
And his disciples kind of laugh, right? Like, what do you mean you touched you? The crowds are crashing in, but Jesus felt some power go out of him, right? Like, I don't know fully what's going on there. It's like, you know, like the force, like Obi-Wan Kenobi. Like, the force is, I felt the force go out a little bit. But he, he knows, though he doesn't know who touched him, he knows that God the Holy Spirit, present, the power of God dwelling within him, has, has gone in and healed somebody. And he says, who did that? And this woman starts to get afraid. Because she knows that she has just committed a, an offense. Remember we talked about when Jesus healed the man with leprosy. If you touched a leper, or like this woman, if you touched her, you would become ceremonially unclean. Even if you sat in the same seat where she sat, you would become unclean for about seven days. You would be unable. You'd have to go through a whole process before you could come before God or relate with His people. You'd be unclean. She reached out and touched Him. She knows what she did. And Jesus says, who touched me? But why? Why did he say that? Because he wants to heal fully. He's not just here to perform some tricks, just to, oh yeah, come up and kind of touch my clothes as you will, and you might be healed, and I'm going to go on my merry way. No, he's bringing a greater healing. The person in work of Jesus is not just to put little band-aids on our lives where we see fit, but it's more significant than that. It reaches to our deepest need. So his disciples kind of mock him. And finally, this woman says, I I did. I touched you. And then pick back up with me here. Jesus addresses this woman in verse 34. He says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Again, look at Jesus. Anyone else who this woman touched would become unclean. But remember, like you've heard the Chuck Norris jokes, right? When Chuck Norris jumps into the water, he doesn't get wet, but the water gets Chuck Norris. Well, if Jesus is the better, the perfect, the ultimate Chuck Norris, when uncleanness touches Jesus, Jesus doesn't get unclean, but what is unclean gets cleaned. Okay, that's not just a joke, that's not just a little... But seriously, that's the reality. If you feel like, man, my life is so full of junk right now, I need to get it cleaned up. Members of my own family think this. I've got to get some stuff in order before God will accept me. No, no, that's not the message of Jesus. Jesus laid his life on the cross and took uncleanness. He took sin upon himself. He is perfect so that coming before him with your filth, with your uncleanliness, with your sin, Jesus doesn't get unclean. He rose from the dead and conquered that so that all who come to him can become clean. And he tells this woman, go, your faith has made you well. And then though, seemingly tragically, this guy's friends come to him. And they show up and they say, Jairus, never mind. Don't waste the teacher's time. Your daughter has already died. Can you imagine the anguish that likely would have come over Jairus hearing that? Picking up in verse... 35, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But Jesus overheard this. Let me be clear here. Their posture is almost like, again, like the magician who's kind of a one trick pony. He can heal. He can maybe, we've heard he can make the deaf hear and the blind see. He does some good things. 
well, your daughter's already dead. He can do nothing for us. Never, don't even waste his time. Let's go back along with our lives as we know it. But Jesus overhears this and says, no, 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 let's, let's go. And he goes and he approaches this house and there's wailing and weeping, it says, right? And again, in our Western world, we don't understand this kind of thing. Um, I spent some time in South Africa and, and, and I sadly, I won't tell you the whole story. It ended up okay, but a young, a young child actually tragically experienced something, was actually hit by a car. And I remember this, the family, while it was all being sorted out, was wailing. Like you could hear it. People were like literally running around seemingly chaotic, like tearing their clothes and just wailing in sorrow. We tend to kind of keep our stuff together here in the West, so we don't really understand this scene as well. But when tragedy comes in, these people, like a lot of people throughout the Eastern world, kind of just wear it. They, 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 they perhaps more rightly represent what's actually going on inside. Despair has set in. Jairus's daughter has died. And Jesus comes and says, oh, don't worry, she's only sleeping. The people start to laugh at him. Yeah, right, she doesn't have a pulse. What do you mean she's sleeping? Her heart is stopped. She's not sleeping. And they start to make fun of Jesus. They start to laugh in their place. And so Jesus recognizes their unfaith because they don't understand what he's saying. He says, you all stay outside. And then he tells Jairus and his select few of his closest followers, he says, you come in with me. We'll go and relate with your daughter right now. We'll go and see what's happening here. Because he recognizes that, un- that lack of faith, that this kind of mockery of God is contagious. Okay, and so he says, let's, let's leave this out here. Don't, be, don't listen to that. Come, look to me. I will come. And let me be clear here. Jesus doesn't really think she's sleeping. Okay? He, he knows that she has died. But he's making a profound statement that you and I cannot miss. He's revealing the reality of death. Yes, it's tragic. Yes, we should weep and moan perhaps and cry out in despair. But the truth is, death doesn't get the last word. He's saying that in relation to the kingdom that he's bringing, in relation to real life under Jesus, in relation to Faith in Jesus, even death, is but sleeping. Compared to eternal life, compared to the hope we have that though we may die, yet we will live through faith in Jesus. It's it's like comparing it to sleeping. And so he says, she's but sleeping. And then to demonstrate the authority and the power of his kingdom and what his kingdom really looks like, he goes in. And he says to this girl, little girl, I say to you, arise. That word right there that he says, the verb that he uses to tell her to rise up, to come out of her death, is the exact same word used in the end of Mark, in Mark chapter 16. When Jesus, when it says that Jesus arose from death, when he conquered death, The same word is used here as Jesus says, again, revealing the power of who he is and what he's doing and what faith in him brings to life. He says, rise up. He brings her out of death, showing that though we may one day die, through faith in him, we will live. We will rise again 
the hope through faith in Jesus is that you will live forever with Him in His kingdom. And then He tells them, He says, don't tell anybody. And again, this can be kind of confusing to us, right? As we kind of close, why does Jesus say, don't tell anyone? Well, let me just say, um, He tells the demons earlier in Mark, He says, don't go and tell anyone because it's His message, because He wants the good news of His kingdom to come forward the way He wants it to come. In this case, why does He tell this family, don't go and tell anyone? Likely, He's protecting them. He wants them to celebrate together. He doesn't want these crowds to come crashing in and be like, hey, the magician did some more more tricks. Hey, do some more tricks for us. Right? He wants to protect His family. He wants them to be able to celebrate together. And He also knows that they don't get who He is and what He's doing. Okay, so he says, no, 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 don't let these crowds that are just looking for entertainment, that are just looking to fit me into a neat little wedge in their life. Don't let them know. And then, again, revealing the incredible character and power and love of Jesus. What does he say? She, she wakes up and he says, somebody go get this little girl something to eat. He shows he's real. Okay, again, going back to the beginning, as I talked about the king and his kingdom, simply put, for you and me, that's so important to understand, because we can put our faith in Jesus on kind of a shelf and think it's an ethereal, out there kind of place, and we don't understand how it applies to real, everyday life. Jesus says, go get something to eat. He shows that he's compassionate, he's present, he knows what she needs. And he's also showing that he's very real. His kingdom, what that means, we say all of life is all for Jesus. That's the same thing as the king and his kingdom. It means that your relationship with Jesus, if you put your faith in him, applies to absolutely every moment of all of life, of every moment of your day. Your work, when you wake up, when you order Taco Bell, when you go to sleep, when you relate with your kids, when your kids spill your coffee, when your kids scream out in church, when you, you know, give someone the one finger salute in traffic, whatever it might be, as I said earlier, we've seen all throughout, Jesus just blew up the sacred and secular divide that you and I tend to create. He went to Rome, the secular world, and it fell at his feet. He goes back to the sacred, to the religious world, the synagogue, and it fell at his feet. Jesus is again reiterating the main point of this whole thing. Is that Jesus is the good king, and he's ushering in his good kingdom, and he's calling you and me to submit to him and to enter into that right now. So as I close, let me read one last thing again from the Jesus storybook. Bible, the last sentence in that that we read said this, Jesus helped and healed many people like this. He made blind people see. He made deaf people hear. He made lame people walk. Jesus was making the sad things come untrue. He was mending God's broken world. And that is certainly true. The kingdom of God is here. Sometimes deaf people do hear. We believe that God can do whatever He wants. Sometimes He displays His power by healing people physically. He could make my stutter stop if He wanted to today. I believe that. We've prayed for that before. But, but 
At the same time, we trust that God is doing something greater than just what we can see right here. His kingdom is both now and not yet. We do pray that God would heal. That when loved ones are facing tragedy, we pray that God would heal. That when people are impaired by things for 12 years or their entire lives, we pray. When those who long to have children and yet have not been able to, as my wife and I walked through for years, we pray that God would bring life. We do. His kingdom is here. The good news. But we could sit here though today and say, yeah, but what about when that doesn't happen? What about when... Um, that little girl laying on the bed, Jairus' daughter, doesn't come back to life. Then what? Is Jesus a liar? Is he not really the king? Is his kingdom not really coming? Does that not really inform our lives today? No, we look back to the disposition of Jesus as he said, she's but sleeping. Because the good news is that Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection defines all of life that in comparison to that in comparison to him and who he is and what he's done and what he's doing death is but like sleeping let me send us out with this first corinthians chapter 15 the apostle paul writes these words and i pray that this reality would define our lives and define our worship and define our response even now when the perishable puts on imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? That is the good news of Jesus. That is the good news of the King bringing His kingdom that is here now, that defines our lives now, that compels us to pray for the King to bring healing now. But when that doesn't come, we also have the good news that the kingdom is also not yet. That we look ahead to the day when the elation of Jairus and his daughter, the, the absolute excitement of this woman who's just been healed, will define all of life one day. And so it defines all of life now. That we look to Jesus and we know that whether we live or die, that one day Jairus' daughter and this frail woman eventually did die. But the good news that they experienced here is the good news that you and I experience now. Is that Jesus is in control. That he's bringing his kingdom. That he is good and he is able. And he's called us to live all of life in response to who he is and what he's done and what he is doing. So now as we respond, as we close in prayer and worship, let our time, let's celebrate. Right? I want to recognize that some of us in here have heavy hearts. Some of us have experienced death that has not resulted in waking up and eating something. But the good news, whether we feel it or not, that we can sing out together, is that Jesus is in control. And that who He is and what He's done and what He is doing defines us and informs us wherever we are. So with that, let's pray, let's celebrate in response to our good King as His people in His kingdom. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you thanking you. Um, Lord, thank you for the, again, the children who are in here. Lord, we hear their noises, their laughing, their crying. Again, I know that for some of us, even that maybe brings up heartache or, um, Lord, questions. And, um, Lord, for some of us, it brings up maybe a weight 
in a season right now struggling through parenting or Lord, others who long to be parents one day or Lord, wherever we are, whatever season we're in, we look to you, Lord Jesus. We know that you are good, that what you have done is you've put death to death. You've brought life to define all of life. So now as we look to you, I pray that you will lead us to appropriately respond to you and who you are and what you've done and what you are doing. The good news, Lord Jesus, that you are compassionate and you are able. We pray all this in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen.